0: The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. A podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. Welcome back to the Beyond Sleek Training Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb, and with me today is Lindsay Hookway, all the way from the UK. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. It's great to yep. be here. Thank you. Now, Lindsay has worked with infants, children and families for almost 20 years. She's got a background in pediatric nursing and public health nursing, as well as being an internationally board certified lactation consultant or IBCLC, as we see those letters um, against your name. She serves both families and professionals with her wealth of knowledge in infant feeding, behavior, sleep, and parenting. And for our listeners, um, you probably, or if you don't already, you need to go and follow Lindsay's Feed, Sleep, Bond, Instagram, Mm. and Facebook pages because the information that she puts out there for free is absolutely outstanding. And then if you would like even more, she also has books to purchase. And just because the world actually really does need some decent sleep consultants out there, Lindsay trains people with her program for holistic sleep coaching. And um, I have to say, I, I was coming from the Beyond Sleep Training Project background. I actually took a while to even fully look into Lindsay's stuff because it caught my eye as being just another sleep training program. And it took me a bit to actually look into it and realize that, holy moly, we actually have someone who actually gets the real deal about sleep. And this is not a sleep training course. So I'd also recommend that if you're looking at a way to um, work with families, or you already do work with families, and you're looking to upskill to consider looking up Lindsay's amazing course through holistic sleep coaching. Uh, She's also written several books. One of them that I love is let's talk about your family sleep. And the has it just come out? Or is it just about to come out your new book
2: still awake that was published in june so that's my toddler to tween sleep book which is just amazing because there's not many
0: resources in that space and we know through the project that there are families who are still negotiating sleep with their children around that school age because not all sleep challenges are infant or toddler related Um, Mm -hmm. and it's quite interesting it was just a total glut in resources really wasn't there
2: Yeah. And I, I find that even books that say they cover um, slightly older kids, it's just a bit of a rebrand of a strategy that works for a little one. And it, it's, it's not always enough. Like you, yeah, there's a whole book to explain why, (laughs) why different, different, um, different approaches and strategies for older littles and um, that they're all really creative and fun and very, very kind. And no cry, which is what we all want absolutely
0: so we'll be sure to drop all the links to lindsay's platforms and books and things into the show notes for today Um, but what we're actually here for today is to hear about your own personal sleep journey with your family so in a minute i might get you to introduce who's who and your little crew and let us know before you
2: had your first baby how did you plan to approach sleep do you know i I don't think it occurred to me that I would find it unbelievably difficult i I think I was pretty naive going into parenting and nighttime parenting um I was a a, a pediatric nurse and a health visitor and um you know I'd worked with families for a really long time by the time my first came along um but also it was it was quite a journey to even get our our first um little one as well so she was very 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 wanted um and i just figured that you know we wanted her so much and we'd you know tried so hard um for her to be on planet earth that um that it would just all be okay, and I'd be so delighted that she that she was here. That um, nothing would really faze me because um, I was just going to be so in love <laughs> with this child. Um, and I, I think, you know, my my own training in public health nursing had very much led me to believe that. Pretty much, we can expect kids to be sleeping through the night by about six months, and that solids would be the turning point for sleep. Um, and yeah, all of those myths that I now seem to spend a, an awful lot of my time trying to dispel, I, I absolutely believed them when it was my turn um, to think about um, what parenting at night looked like for our family. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't think I was very well prepared at all, actually. So had you set up a cot in a nursery and all of that kind of jazz? Yeah, I mean, we I, I, I honestly don't know why, because we we always planned to have our eldest in our bedroom with us. Um, I had a, a little Moses basket. I didn't buy it. I was I was given it by a, a dear friend and. Um, I I don't think I'd really made a conscious decision about bed sharing. Um, I I certainly wasn't averse to it, but I I, I just assumed she would sleep in the Moses basket. Um, And we had a nursery. No idea why, as I said, because... You know, I knew she wasn't going to be in it um, for at least six months when she was going to be sleeping through the night. I thought she'd go in (laughs) then. Um, But we had this really cute nursery and a a cot or a crib, depending on what side of the pond you reside on. Um, And, yeah, I just used to put the clean laundry in it. She never went in it, ever. I don't think she ever went in her cot, actually. Um, Wow.
0: So when she arrived, so you had these visions that of how it was going to be – not necessarily easy street, but you didn't think anything would particularly bother you, and it was, you know, yeah. just for six months.
2: So, what happened when she actually arrived? Well, so she arrived after a, a pretty naff pregnancy and really difficult birth. I had preeclampsia, and uh, she uh, she was induced, so she arrived side two weeks early. Um, and this child looked like she had been here before all right so she came out and we called her the lookout meerkat because she was just like what am i missing uh what's going on you can forget sleep because if i go to sleep i might miss something important um and she was just so alert from the word go and this child had amazing head and neck control and she would kind of um, come up on my shoulder um and just be peering out over everybody. And she just, she really, really didn't sleep. I remember um, there was one day, She was actually due her first set of immunizations. And I thought, right, I've I've really got to try and get her to sleep. Otherwise, she's she's going to be really grumpy for these jabs. The jabs, I think, were, I can still remember, the four o'clock appointment. Um, So I spent the whole day, I promise you, the whole day trying to get Lizzie to go to sleep um, and, and have a nap. And I kid you not, this child did not sleep all day. I tried bouncing and swaying and rocking and boobing and um, putting her in the sling. We walked around the park about 150 million times. She just wasn't going to sleep at all and of course now i know that's because i was dysregulated i was anxious and the more i got wound up and bent out of shape about the fact that she wasn't sleeping the more my nervous system was going into kind of fight flight mode and and therefore she obviously didn't think it was safe to just yeah, so what's going on oh hang on oh mum's mum's up I've better yeah. better be on guard gotta look at yeah, my lookout me cat was not standing down I was like you know I should have just um helped her to calm down but I didn't know then what I know now um so there you go so that sounds very very familiar
0: because I I had similar situation. I remember my guy coming out and the midwife saying, wow, he's really awake. So I get the whole lookout meerkat kind of thing. But so she was this everyday kind of thing or was this a particularly stressed out kind of day? And if so, how long did your days look like this with her?
2: Uh, Honestly, she was she was like that every day. I mean, I think I particularly remember that one because my stress levels were higher that day because I don't know why I just decided that it was really important for her to sleep um, before her jabs. I I don't know why that felt like a particularly big deal, um, but it did. But actually, most days were like that. She was a very, very alert little one. She didn't need a lot of sleep. I didn't know that then I didn't I didn't. I'd never heard of any other baby in my circle of peers and friends um, like that. All of the other babies I knew genuinely slept. They might not sleep, you know, in their cribs and cots. They might not have self settled. Um, they might not have gone down drowsy but awake or any of that other rubbish. But they slept. They they slept, you know, on shoulders and in carriers and whatever. Mine just didn't. She was just always awake. Um, and I I was one of those people who really internalized um, how well my child slept as a measure of how good a parent I was. And I felt like as a nurse and as a health visitor, and I was training to be an IBCLC at that point, you know, lots of people when they heard about you know what I did for a living, they were like, oh, oh this must be really easy for you. Or, oh, you're my new best friend. Or, oh, can I ask you, because you must know all the tricks and tips. And I felt like a complete fraud. I felt like, you know, I was failing. And actually, I must be, you know, actually, not only quite a rubbish parent, but I must actually not be very good at my job either. Because apparently, I I just can't do this stuff. Um, and so it really took its toll on, on my mental health. I definitely thought, um, I, I am not nailing this parenting gig at all. And while you're feeling like this, how was your baby? What was she like during this time? Other people would say that she was just a a delight. Her middle name was Joy and, and she was, she was an absolute joy to be around and, and, You know, I I don't I don't really believe in parenting regrets. Um, You know, I think that our experiences shape us and mold us. And I think there's very little value in thinking, oh, I wish I could go back and do things differently. However, you know, looking looking kind of, um, you know, in on the situation now, um, if I had just chilled out about the fact that this was just a low sleep need child. And I didn't need to be wasting all this energy trying and failing to get a child who wasn't tired to go to sleep. If, if I had just enjoyed her, we would have had a blast because she was a really fun baby. She was very bright and alert. Um, she was very curious. I could take her anywhere and she would just flirt with everybody. Um, she would flirt with the, the people in the supermarket and um, people out and about. And she was fascinated by the birds in the park and every little doggy she saw. And if I had just lived in the moment and enjoyed that, I, I honestly, I think it would have been a very different parenting experience. And I guess
0: that really speaks to the fact that you really didn't have the resources around you to help you understand that that was okay, that your baby was okay and therefore you can lay off yourself a little bit because it's just such a, that's the weight of the expectations really clouds that ability to see it for what it really
2: is, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're only going back 12 years, but actually the online space was very different twelve years ago. Facebook was nowhere near as big a thing um, as it became in the years following her birth and and really, I was going to the baby clinic, um, which was a physical clinic um, i what else did I have? I had my nCT group, and all of their babies slept, so that wasn 't very helpful um, and and that was about it really. I felt very lonely, very isolated. Um, And there wasn't a a voice of reason saying, do you know what? That sounds really hard. Totally, really, really hard. I I hear you and I stand with you, but it's also so normal and it's not your fault. This isn't something you did. This isn't something that you've caused. You've not broken your baby. You're not screwing up parenting and your little one will be okay. Um, I can tell you that actually, if you just let this play out, it'll be fine. There was nobody saying that. Um, to me the the only voices that were sort of around at the time and being vocal were, were, were more or less saying this is normal this too shall pass but they weren't really explaining it they weren't giving me uh, anything good. extra and that's what i needed i i really needed somebody to be able to explain um you know what was going on and why this was happening and um and, and to be able to reassure me in a meaningful way that that Um, addressed my underlying anxieties and um, feelings of failure. And that wasn't around. um, And I suppose that's a huge part of you know, why I uh, produce the content and books that I do now, because I, I suppose all of it is just the stuff that I needed to hear <laughs> 12 years ago. It's quite cathartic really. Um, well,
0: and that's why you write it so beautifully because it comes directly from the heart and your experience. Yes. And so it's got that it's right through it. It's not just regurgitating information. It comes all packaged up with actual reality and really lived experience. So that's where the value is, I think, in it. Um, just you. to keep, that's all right. And I'm just thinking about so like we know during the day she wasn't sleeping very much. What were nights looking like with her?
2: Oh, wow. Well <laughs> needing a deep sigh. Wow. Well, so I am someone who actually doesn't need a lot of sleep. I, I genuinely um, do fine on um You know, five or six hours sleep. I had about five and a half hours last night. And um, today uh, I have a a book that I need to start writing and um, I need to bash out a whole load of stuff for my PhD. I will be fine because I, I really don't need a lot of sleep. So that context is important because I felt like I was going to die. Of exhaustion with my eldest. Right. So not I don't much need sleep at all. not much sleep at all. So we're talking probably. And I, I think for a very long time, I probably had perhaps three hours of broken sleep um, for for lots of days, and maybe up to about four or five hours of broken sleep um most of the time for at least the first 14 months. And it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And and looking back, um, it's hard to know exactly what that was about. Um she she did have a, a phase of sleeping pretty well actually. She slept like 10 hours straight from about five months, but it only lasted three weeks. <laughs> and then it 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 went backwards in a really big way. Um and then that carried on till about 14 months. And she just used to wake up very, very frequently, you know, every 45 minutes, you know, a a, a floorboard creak, a toilet flush, uh, somebody <laughs> slamming a door, all of it. Um, we were those people who walked around not flushing toilets because we were terrified to wake this child up because she was such a light sleeper. Um, and it okay, never occurred for that. <laughs> it's painful.
0: It's really Especially, painful. And unless you've had one of those babies too, oh. people think that you're doing it because you're a little bit over the top. It's like, yeah. no, dude, that kid will wake up if my knee cracks. Like, yeah, right, yeah. And no, they usually I just- the ones who are, uh, take so much hard work to get to sleep in the yeah. first place. Like, you cannot. Yeah.
2: You cannot chance that, wake up. No way. Well, there was this mummy, I called it the mummy bounce. It it was like a, it was, it, there was a definite rhythm. I had to kind of bounce in a, like a figure eight, <laughs> about sort of 60 to 70 beats a minute. And my husband just couldn't do it. He, um he tried, he ended up kind of <laughs> doing this weird, like dad dancing jiggle. It just, it wasn't cutting it at all for her. So it had to be me and the mummy bounce. And that would take ages. Um, and then she would wake up, you know, approximately every 45 minutes to an hour all night long. And that was irrespective of whether I was there or not. I did try and sneak away, but. Did you have to bounce her to get her back to sleep or could you shove a boob in and she. No, I could, I could boob her back. to. So once she was down, I could yep. boob her back to sleep. Yep. But if if I delayed getting to her then all hell so, broke loose. She absolutely. was like, Woo! I'm I'm gonna react now, mummy, and now you're gonna to have to calm me down and then boob me. So it would take way longer. So we couldn't go out, we couldn't get a babysitter because I thought, oh God, the thought of trying to explain to a babysitter that what you have to do is bounce, but it's gotta be in a figure eight, and you've got to like move the hips like that, and you've got to do it at 60 beats a minute. I thought, you know what, no one's gonna put up with that kind of rubbish. They're just gonna leave her to cry, and I can't, I can't do it. So I, we just or they would have around. been just sitting out on the couch with Lizzie just staring at this babysitter um, is probably what would have yeah, actually happened. Probably, but probably, yeah, It. And like it's, just, looking back, that probably wouldn't have been, we should have just done that because it wouldn't have been the end of the world, like, you know. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like that at the
0: time. I, I can, no. It. your experience is I can say that I think there are very few people who can actually fully understand what, you're describing in terms of pain levels. And I've been there and I hope hardly anyone else ever has to be there. But if there are people listening along with extreme little sparklers, you are not alone. (laughs) Lindsay and I have both lived that pain and there's no, no easy way to say that it's like, there's not necessarily a way out of it other than through it. Um, But you most definitely are not the only one out there and you haven't done anything wrong and you definitely haven't broken your baby.
2: Absolutely, um, and you know, looking looking back on those early days with the, you know, the benefit of hindsight, as her personality began to emerge, she was a very is a very 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 bright child. Um, she's got a few sensory differences, um, but you know, I think even if we'd known about sensory differences in infancy, I'm really not at all sure that there would have been a thing that would have fixed the issue. I think so often we are looking for the fix. Um, Try this product, try that sound, try that weighted blanket, try, um, you know, uh, this patting technique during the day or whatever. Like there's so many things that you can try and sure, give them a go if, you know, if if you want to try those things. But actually I think the truth is sometimes with these very, very, bright, alert, sparkly, um, high need, um, you know, different, intense, however you want to call them, these sort of spirited um, kiddies. Honestly, I think you just have to um, find some solidarity, um, accept that it's not you, and know that when they come out, oh my goodness, they're amazing kids. They They are truly fabulous children. It's just that the qualities that we, you know, love and adore in older children, you know, being feisty, withstanding peer pressure, standing up for yourself, being fiercely um, independent and strong-minded and persistent and tenacious and all of those things, they're not easy characteristics to live with when your little one is eight months old or 11 months old or 15 months old. In fact, they're really flipping difficult and annoying at times. Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, we used to joke that you know, if a mouse farted, um, this child was gonna, this child was gonna wake up and react. Um, so if you have a child where if a mouse farts, that's it, it's game over. Um, then I'm with you in spirit. I promise. As am
0: I. You are so far from alone, and I, I would love to hear from you because I know what for me. Like, you know, nothing quite makes up for the fact that your sleep is that utterly broken, that your fatigue levels are through the roof. There's just no denying that because these kind of babies are relentless in their nature and it goes on for a much longer period than you hear with um, less intense babies. Like my second and my third baby, I did not experience this again the same way, Um, but I know what helped me through that time Nothing made it easy, but what was there anything that helped
2: you a little bit, Lindsay? What what was it? Um honestly, it was getting support for um my uh, postnatal depression and uh, birth trauma. So, you know, it it really was a, a terrible pregnancy and birth and she was a very 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 challenging baby to parent. She was delightful, but she was so difficult uh, in parallel, you know, you I had to hold the two truths um, simultaneously. Um, And because of, because of all of that, and because of, you know, all of the backstory and, you know, my own feelings of self-worth being tied up in how she slept, it was pretty inevitable that I was going to end up with pretty, pretty significant um, depression and anxiety and hypervigilance and all of those things. And, and honestly, I think so often, um yes her sleep was appalling but I I wasn't coping during the day I felt like I was in a pit and that's how I would describe depression it feels like you're in a pit you don't know how you got in the pit but you can't see a way out of the pit there's no rope there's no ladder there's no one throwing you an arm to try and lift you out of the pit and if you get to that point where you're in the pit that's the point at which your nervous system is so dysregulated that even if you do sleep, it's not going to feel good. Even if somebody offers to help you or take your baby out for a walk in the pushchair for an hour so you can get a nap, you're not going to sleep because you're on fight flight mode the whole time. So for me, it was getting some help to get out of the pit. And for me, what that looked like, um, this isn't right for everybody, but for me, that involved antidepressants, as well as talking therapies in tandem. Some people want one or the other. I'm not here to judge any of those choices. And I'm not, you know, a, a mental health expert But that's what I did. Um, And it took a while. Um, I I would say I hit absolute rock bottom when she was about eight months old. And that's why I I have a particular heart, actually, for parents of kind of eight to 10 month old babies. They are such hard work anyway. Um, And I think that's often the time when, you know, people are losing interest in that cute little baby. They the, the offers of help start dwindling massively by that point, people assume they're sleeping. um, And often people are going back to work in in some parts of the world. I I, I appreciate this is an international audience. And some people go back to work a lot earlier. But that was around the time I was going back to work as well. Um, And around that time, I in desperation, I called my health visitor. And I said, honestly, I feel like I'm going to die from lack of sleep. And she said, well, we're not going to do um, cry it out or control crying. And I, I, I thought, oh, thank goodness for that, because I just couldn't do it. It didn't. It didn't sit right but she says what we'll do is we could try we i don't know why she kept saying we as if she was going to be there with me she wasn't going to be there with me it was going to be me but anyway she said we we can try pick up put down um, because it's really gentle and they'll learn that if there's a problem you're there for them and if there's not a problem they need to go to sleep in their cot and in my foggy sleep deprived haze that sounded really logical i thought oh that's a brilliant concept. Oh my goodness. Where's that been all my life? Um, i, I mean, of course I'd heard of it. I was a health visitor, but I hadn't, hadn't really thought about, you know, what it meant, what it looked like, whether I was going to do it anyway, I tried it for one night. Um, and I, I tell this story a lot. I picked Lizzie up and put her, put her down more than 140 times and I lost count at that point because the book says says count because you'll be amazed um you know that it's getting less every night so I did count I did as I was told um, and um 140 times and I thought bugger this I can't I can't even keep track this is so ridiculous this she was beginning to cry the second I like did that to, to move forward, to go and lay her back down in the cot, and I thought, this is a crock. I'm not into it. So at that point, I took her into the bed, and we lay down, and we booped to sleep, and I was like, screw it. I, obviously, nothing's going to work, or nothing that I'm comfortable with is going to work. So therefore... We're just going to have to survive, and I'll reevaluate. But around the same time, I was getting treatment for my, um, for my mental health problems as well. And around the same time, her activity and mobility really um, kicked up a gear. And, um, and then she got extremely ill, which you would think would mess up everything. And it certainly did for a while. But actually, once she recovered, we seemed to have just turned a corner over that time. And things slowly, slowly, slowly got better um, and livable. And, and for me, livable was, you know, waking up three to four times a night rather than every 30 to 45 minutes, which is a very, very big improvement when you're that tired. How flipping good do that first time
0: you get like one to two hours in a row feel yes. holy cow. Yeah. That is, like, the relief is like nothing else.
2: <laughs>
0: absolutely. Yeah. Oh, now I'm just re- looking at the time. We're actually already coming up to 30 minutes for our episode. I'm wondering, would you be able to stick around for a second episode with me so I can sure. hear more about your second babe as well as hearing I oh. want to hear a little bit more about Lizzie as well. Is that okay? Of course. Let's do it. Brilliant. All right. Well, we might just finish up this episode. Um, I normally ask, actually, if you've got a tip for our listeners. Is there a tip you'd like to share to finish
2: this one off? Honestly, the the the. Biggest tip that I can possibly share is think about how you're feeling in this moment. Like right now, you, you're about to try and get your baby down for a nap or bedtime or whatever. First of all, just take five minutes, five minutes just to dump whatever it is that you're feeling um, somewhere. You can you can fake it if you want. You don't have to really believe what you're telling yourself, but just dump it somewhere somewhere. And try to go into whatever sleep, um, you know, period you're going into calmer and more grounded and more regulated. It really will rub off on your little one.
0: Beautiful. And I I would definitely agree with that. I think it's used to really sting though. I know when I was struggling with depression and anxiety and people would be like, he's feeding off you. And it's like, if I ever got any sleep, I wouldn't be doing this. But at the same time, it it was also true that if I could somehow relax myself a little bit before I sleep, it would definitely, you could feel him soften. He was very much a mirror of me and it wasn't because I was doing anything wrong. I was struggling. And that's okay, but it's also okay to just try and soften for both of your benefits around sleep. So I love that. What a beautiful way to finish that episode. Thank you so much, Lindsay. You're so welcome. And I'm really looking forward to it getting stuck into the second part of Lindsay's story in the very next episode. If you haven't already, can you please make sure that uh, if you're enjoying the show, you're able to drop us a review wherever you listen to the show, particularly on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Five-star reviews is actually how the podcast gets distributed further. So we would love you forever if you could give us one of those reviews today. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that. Information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project, and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon, and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.